You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. Well, good morning. You can have a seat. Uh, it's good to come together again this morning and uh, to worship the Lord uh, together. Uh, if you're joining us online, just want to welcome you, um, especially so uh, this morning. Maybe you're at home because of sickness or um, uh, you're looking for a new church home. We, we just want to welcome you and uh, uh, you can let us know you are with us by just indicating that on the platform you're using. Well, we are back into Genesis chapter 3. And um, we're, we're going we're gonna, to, we're talking about the sinfulness of sin again this week. And then uh, next week we're going to begin to talk about the curse. But what we'll also see is there's a promise with the curse. And that will be our focus for the month of December, uh, the promise of Christ coming and what that uh, means for us. As God's people, today we've, we've learned that because Christ has come, there is hope. And um, the text we're going to be looking at this morning, it does not look like there's a lot of hope. All right, So uh, we're, we're going we're gonna to be uh, looking at Genesis 3, 8 to 13. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, just go ahead and slip up your hand. Ushers will be happy to give you a copy of God's Word. If you don't own one, just keep the one they're given to you. But uh, Genesis 3, 8 to 13. And I want to just remind us of where we were a couple of weeks ago. We went from everything being really good. Genesis 1 and 2, God has created this incredible world uh, with uh, perfection. And He declares that everything that He has done is very good. There is uh, a perfect relationship between Adam and Eve. They, they have no shame, as we see at the end of chapter 2. There's this intimate relationship that they have. But they decide that the one commandment that God gave them maybe should not be followed. And we see the scene in Genesis 3, 1 through 7. We talked about this last uh, two weeks ago. And we see that the serpent comes and he begins to kind of, you know, put doubt into the mind of Eve. Did, you know, did God really say you could not eat from any tree in the garden? Well, that was far from the truth, right? There was only one tree that they said they could not eat from. And, and so, so it goes, this temptation of making Eve doubt God's goodness, making Eve doubt uh, whether God is holding back from her or not. And, and in the end, she decides that it's the right thing to do to eat the fruit. That it will be gained for her if she disobeys God. That somehow it will, will the, the, everything that she has will pale in comparison to what she will have if she just eats the fruit. And uh, of course, uh, we read that Adam is with her, and he also eats. Now, what's interesting in 1 Timothy 2, 13 and 14, is that we read there that Eve was deceived, but Adam was not. In other words, Eve was tricked into it. Adam simply rebelled against God. 
And so they're both culpable for sin, and we see them try now in verse 7 to self-atone. They make these little fig leaf loincloths to try to cover up their shame, to try to cover up their guilt. But as we'll see this morning, it's not working. And when you have to come into the presence of a holy God, your little self-atonement doesn't work. Now, as I mentioned, this is not an encouraging text we're going to be looking at this morning. Sadly, as we're going to look at this, we're going to see three terrible ways to deal with your sin. And unfortunately, it was not just like, well, that's a really sad story for Adam and Eve. We're going to be seeing the fact that, oh, wait a minute, I do that. So my prayer this morning is that we would see that, we would recognize it, we would see how terrible it was in Adam and Eve to do that, how foolish it was for Adam and Eve to do that. But then we would apply it to our own lives and we'd see how foolish it is to deal with sin in the way that they dealt with it. And by the time we're done, I will get to hope. Even though it's not found in the text today, we will get to hope as we look to the cross. So before we do, let me pray for us and then we're going to get into it. God, we're so thankful for your word. Lord, it is life. Lord, it reveals to us who you are. Lord, it reveals to us who we are. That, God, we are sinners in desperate need of a Savior. And, God, as we are reminded of that this morning, we are so thankful that you are a God of grace, a God of mercy, of compassion, that, Lord, you are quick to forgive those who are humble, those who would repent and confess their sins before you. God, you are so not like us, and we're so thankful for that this morning. And so, God, we would pray as we study this morning that you would help us to see the truth of your word, that we would apply it to our lives, that, Lord, we would not just be hearers of your word, but that we would be doers of your word, and that, Lord, we would live in such a way that we would bring you honor and glory as we leave this place. So, God... You who searches every heart, you who knows everything about us, God, would you lead us now? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so as I mentioned, Genesis 3, 8 8 to 13, they have sinned, they have tried to cover up their sin, and then we read this, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I command you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Three, not just terrible ways, three deadly ways to deal with sin. Three deadly ways to deal with sin. I've entitled this sermon, The Way of Death. If you only deal with your sin in these three ways, then you can be certain that you will find death in the end. Ways that lead to death. First, 
hide. Hide. This is a deadly way to deal with your sin. Hide your sin. We read in verse 8 that after they've made their little fig leaf loincloths, they hear the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And that the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now, I love the phrasing of this. Doesn't it just kind of make your imagination kind of like, okay, what did that sound like? Right? What does God walking in the garden sound like? And, and, and we, we're not told, right? They just hear the sound of him coming, but they know that he, it's him. Why? Because this was something that had happened every day. This, this, uh, this verb that's used here, it's a habitual thing that at this time of the day, at the cool of the day, you know, when you think about that, it's early evening, likely after the heat of the afternoon. Now it's cooling off and now God, God is coming to be with them. This was something that they had been able to experience. We, we don't know how many days, weeks, months this had been going on, but they had the privilege of coming into the presence of God on a daily basis. And so they know it's him by the sound. Obviously, sounds different than the animals walking around them. They know it's him. They know it's the time of day. And their first reaction is, of course, not to come to him. Why? Because they have sinned. This is what sin does. It separates us from God. It separates us from one another. They, they're already the intimacy that they enjoyed at the end of Genesis 2, where they are naked and not ashamed now they have covered themselves. They're, they're, they were seeing in a symbolic way this separation that's already started in their relationship. And now there's separation from God. They do not want to come into his presence because of their sin, because of their guilt and shame. And so they hide themselves. Many of you have young children. I know that because that hallway down there is full right now, all right? And, and, and you likely have seen what Adam and Eve are doing here. You know, you, you told your, your child, your two-year-old, your three-year-old not to do something, and there is evidence all over the house that they have done it. And when you try to find them, they're what? They're hiding. They know that they've messed up, Right? They, they know that, that they're in trouble because of what they've done. But somehow they think that hiding is a good solution. Have you ever thought about that? Why do we think that hiding would be a good solution? The deed is done, right? There's no turning back. You have sinned. There's no going back on that. And so I, I think, and now let's put ourselves in their shoes because you and I do the same thing. We're just better at it. We're better hiders than our children. They're, they're not unlike Adam here. Adam is doing, as we've already read, he does a terrible job of hiding things. But, but we hide because somehow we, we want to be in control of the situation still. 
Yeah, 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 I know I'm going to have to deal with my sin. I know I'm going to have to deal with my consequences, but I, I want to deal with it on my time. I, I, I'll come out and, and, and confess it later. I'll, 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 I, just, I just don't want to deal with it right now. And so we prolong the process. We, we put things off. We hide our sin. Now, it's pretty crazy. Adam and Eve know that everything around them has been created by this God. <laughs> but they think somehow they can hide. You and I somehow think we can hide from God. We think that, that the things that we do on a daily basis are somehow hidden from Him. Is there really ever a time that we can invade the sight of God? Do we, do we really think that God doesn't know? No matter where we are, no matter how you have tried to conceal your sin, God knows. We're reminded in Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12, I encourage you to write these verses down and, and look them up for yourself later, but Psalm 139, 7 through 12, reminds us that there is nowhere that you can go where God is not. Psalm 139, 7, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I free, flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. There is no hiding from God. Every word that you said this last week, every action that you did this last week, every thought that you had is known to God. There is no hiding from Him. Now, tragically, many of you know that, but you don't care. You know you can't hide from God, but... God's grace. And what you're really worried about, what you really care about, is whether the person sitting next to you knows about your sin. You're more concerned about hiding your sin from them than you are from God. And Jesus warns us of how foolish this is. He says that we should not fear those who can only kill the body. Instead, he says in Matthew 10, 28, rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. You see, it won't be to the person beside you that you're going to give an account of someday. It will be to the Lord God. You will stand before him someday and give an account of your life. He will determine whether you have eternity in heaven or eternity in hell. And so it's foolish that we would try to hide our sin from Him, and it's foolish that we would hide our sins from one another. Verse 9, But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? They're both hiding, but it is the Lord God who calls out to the man. I think it's interesting, again, Moses 
uses the words now Lord God again, Yahweh, the covenant-keeping, faithful God. He uses that terminology to describe God here. God is always faithful. Man never is, it seems, as we look at this. God is good. Man is not. He addresses the man. He calls out to him. It's very clear here as we look at verse 7. He's speaking specifically to Adam. Not to Adam and Eve, but to Adam. He is calling out him because he has the greater responsibility. He was the one who was to lead his wife. He was the one who was put in charge of protecting the garden. And so he calls him to account and he asks, where are you? Anybody think there's any chance that God does not know where he is? So why ask the question? Here we see God's grace on display for the first time in the Bible. There has been no need for grace up to chapter 3, up to this point. But now we see God's grace on display. He is allowing the opportunity for Adam to come forward and confess his sin. Maybe you've done that as a parent. I remember when our children were younger and it again it was obvious they had sinned. We would give opportunity for confession. If there was confession, then the punishment was less. That's how we did it in our home. If you continued to lie, then the consequences were higher. You cannot get away with sin by sinning more. In our home, if you lied, you got the hot sauce. That was what we did. All right? Sin with the tongue, we will punish the tongue. All right? That was the idea behind it. It was quite effective on one daughter, and uh, the other one didn't struggle as much. So, but it was okay. Um, God's grace. He knows what Adam and Eve need to do more than anything else at this point is to confess their sins and to repent of their sins. And so he gives opportunity for them to do that. Hamilton says this, The Lord addresses a question rather than a command to the secluded man, for God must draw rather than drive him out of hiding. He is the good shepherd who seeks the lost sheep. I mean, this idea that the God of the Old Testament is an angry, punishing God, and now the God of the New Testament is so loving and gracious, I mean, that's just not seen in the Bible. Right here in Genesis 3, we already see God's grace and mercy. We see in Exodus 34, 6 and 7, this being said about our God, Exodus 34, 6 and 7. As God passes before Moses, he says the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. God will punish sin. All sin must be punished. This is what he's saying at the end of these verses. 
But for those who would repent, for those who would confess their sin, He is quick to forgive. It's an incredible picture of our God. Holding out hope, holding out grace and forgiveness, being merciful and gracious. Is that how you view God here this morning? Maybe you're here in a church for the first time, and your view of God is that He is just an angry God seeking to punish. But that's not the God of the Bible. God will forgive sin, or God will punish sin. Because he is a just God, but he is a forgiving God if we would humble ourselves before him. We're going to talk more about that at the end of the, service, end of the sermon this morning, but I want to just stop and ask ourselves a question as Redemption Church this morning. Are we a place that encourages people to hide their sin? Are we a place that we would be quick to confess our sins to one another. Like redemption, you're pretty, you're pretty theological. You're, you're, you know your doctrine pretty well. So I know that everyone understands here that we all sin. That we are not in heaven yet. We have not attained perfection. And yet, how often do we confess our sins to one another? Is there a thinking in this church that if I confessed my sin to my brother or sister in Christ, that they they would think less of me, that they would actually reject me, that they would shun me if I told them what I am struggling with, what I am wrestling with? May that never be the case in the body of Christ. If we understand our sins correctly, we would see as Paul sees his sin that he is the greatest of all sinners. We would think much of our own sin and be quick to be gracious and loving to anyone who would come alongside us and confess their sins. I heard a speaker say a couple weeks ago that there's more confessing going on in the bars than there are in the churches. Now you'd be like, well, yeah, of course. I mean, in the bar, they're just going to be like, it's okay, buddy. You know, and just kind of, but shouldn't that be what the church does? It's okay. God has died for your sin. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for your sin so that you could be forgiven. And so thank you for confessing that to me. And I'm going to come alongside you now and help you encouraging you and, and spur you on in your pursuit of righteousness. We're so thankful that Christ has died for your sin and we can lay that down together at the cross and now walk together in holiness. And if you stumble again, I'll be there to help you up again. Should that not be what this church is about? May we make it very hard to be an Adam in this church. And what I mean by that, make it very hard to be a person who never acknowledges that they're wrestling with their sin. That's why we have small groups. That's why we encourage you to grow in your relationship with one another, that you get in the place where you could say, hey, I'm wrestling with this. I'm a schmuck husband, right? I, 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 I'm not prioritizing things as I ought to. Guys, would, would you help me? 
Would you, would you come alongside me and, and keep me accountable? I want to walk in a way that God calls me to. This is what should be happening. So if your prayer time, if your share time is like, I'm doing great. Well, then we'll start with lying as the first thing that we'll help you with, right? Because we all wrestle. We all struggle. We all have things. So let us not be a church where hiding our sin is encouraged. But rather, we'll be a, maybe we'll be a church where we're quick to confess our sins to one another that we might find grace together at the cross. Three deadly ways to deal with sin. First, blame. Secondly, deflect. Deflect. Not owning our sin. Making excuses for our sin. We see in verse 10, Adam says this, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. You know, uh, I did hear you and... um, you know, I, I, I was afraid. Is that true? Is that, yeah, I'm sure. He was afraid, I'm sure, because he is messed up, he's sinned. But he's not saying that that's the reason. He's saying he has fear of God, and the reason that he has fear is because he's naked. He's not saying, I had fear of you because I rebelled against your commandment and sinned against you. Instead, he's using his nakedness as the excuse as to why he could not come into his presence. Now, if you'll recall, just make sure we understand the context, nakedness was not the problem. Because at the end of Genesis chapter 2, we see that they were both naked and not ashamed. And so we can safely assume that every other time that God had showed up in the garden up to this day, they were both naked in the presence of God and nobody was thinking anything of it. So he says they are both naked, or sorry, I was naked in hid him and decides that the issue now is to, or sorry, sorry, that he, what he should do is hide from God as a result of this nakedness. Is this confession of sin? This is not confession of sin. He's deflecting from the real issue. He, 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 he is not dealing with the core issue. He's saying he is naked and he's ashamed but he's not saying what he did wrong. I heard someone say once that sin makes you stupid. Well, he's just told on himself, has he not? But he doesn't think so. I, 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 I couldn't find any other commentator who went the way that I went when I was reading about this. So I, I don't know. I... But this was my imagination as I just think about this whole thing. So he's saying he's naked, but didn't they just make these little loincloth things? These fig leaf things? So what's, what's going on here? So as I kind of went down the rabbit trail, is he saying this? Is he saying like, we get how pathetic 
this little loincloth is and is really not covering up anything? Is he saying that? Did he think, oh, wait a minute, I didn't have this on beforehand. I guess I better get rid of it or else God's going to know that something went wrong. And so now we just kind of set this thing aside and now I'm coming into his presence and now I really am shameful and full of guilt because I don't have it on, but I know I, I should have it on. And what, right, like all these, these things, like what's going on in his mind? But isn't that what happens when you try to cover up sin? Like, what do I do? Like, um, if I come into his presence with the loincloth on, he's going to know something happened. But if I come in without it on, I'm kind of messed right now. So what, what do I do here? And, and this is what happens when we try to cover up our sin. We compound the sin. We, 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 we lie to ourselves. We lie to God. But he is deflecting from the true reason. These are the kind of conundrums a person has when they don't just come out and confess their sin. And they just come out clean. They, instead, they now have to compound the lies, compound the problem. If we're being honest, we spend plenty of time deflecting the root cause of our actions. We want to blame our circumstances, our emotions, our DNA. We want to deflect from the real issue. You, you, you were impatient with, with those one, the ones that you love, and, and, you, and you, you said some harsh things, you said some wrong things, but really what the problem was is that I was hungry, right? Let's not, let's not, let's ignore the impatience, let's ignore the fact that what I said was wrong, and let's get to the core issue, which was my hunger. Is that really the core issue? No, that's not the core issue. The core issue was your sin. We do the same thing with tiredness, right? It somehow becomes an excuse for what we did. We try to magnify the tiredness and lower the sin. Loneliness gets used as an excuse for sin over and over again. I know I should not be with that person. I know I should not be in this kind of relationship with that person. But God just knows I'm so lonely. He understands that I'm lonely. And so the loneliness becomes the thing that we put up and then the immorality we put down here. Today, one of the favorite things that we do is we want to just get a diagnosis. If I can get somehow get a diagnosis for my sin problem then I won't have to feel as bad about it. Hey, they, t- they said I'm OCD. You know, so I know it's wrong, but that's just my DNA. You know, I like to be in control. Instead of saying, God, forgive me for trying to be in control all the time, I know that you alone are in control. And repenting of it. Yeah, I, I come from a long line of alcoholics. So, I'm trying, doing the best I can, but, you know, anytime you're using a diagnosis to lower your culpability in, to, in sin is a wrong, right? You can understand who you are, that's fine, but the moment that you try to use that as an excuse for your sin, then you're in big trouble. Because you remain in that sin. You remain in that slavery. If you have been diagnosed as OCD, then you go to the cross 
often saying, God, help me with this particular area of my life. I always want to be in control, but I can see in, your, in the scriptures that is not the way I ought to be thinking. And so God, help me. We want to make much of the fact that we're a victim and God wants us to make much of the fact that we're a sinner. We do it all the time. There's no one here who could be like, <laughs> that Adam. Man, I'm sure glad I'm not like him. Right? A lot of you are married here. I can guarantee you, you've all done this. You, 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 and I, look, I'll just, I'll just put myself out there. How many times have, am I holding on to, like, Heather just has to understand why I did what I did. Ultimately, I'm a good person. You know, I, I, my, my motivations were good here. Yes, 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 the sin thing. But, but I'm a good person. Like, how many times do I do that? How ridiculous is that? I think, you know, like, Pastor, maybe your theology is a little messed up. I know my, the- my theology is great right here. But my emotions at the time, when I don't want to be wrong again and my pride wells up, I make excuses. I deflect from the real reason, real thing instead of just simply saying, "Hun, I sinned against you when I did blank. Will you please forgive me? We deflect because we want to think much of ourselves. We want, we want circumstances we, to be the problem rather than our own sinful hearts. Kidner put it like this, we want to conceal the cause behind the symptoms. So how does the Lord respond to Adam's explanation? He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Adam, uh, how did you determine that you were naked. I mean, and then he, and then he just kind of lays it out on a platter here for him. Does he not? Okay, Adam. Gigs up. You got your hand caught in the cookie jar here. All you have to do now is just say, Lord, I sinned against you. Again, do you see how God is so gracious here to him? He's leading him to the point where repentance should happen. There is zero reason now for him not to just come clean, to, to, just, to just admit what he has done. There, 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 <laughs> that's all he has to do now. God is being so kind to him says in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? God is so slow to anger, so patient with our sin. And here he is, giving Adam yet another opportunity. Did Adam deserve any of this? Let's just be clear. Did Adam deserve any of this? No. What he deserved was, as soon as he went crunch on whatever that fruit was, death. 
That's what he had told them. You eat of it, you will die. He would have been just, he would have been right to kill them on the spot. Instead, instead of coming in with fire and brimstone into that garden, instead he's coming in very graciously, very lovingly, questioning him, trying to get him to come to repentance. First he's hiding his sin, now he's deflecting from his sin, and then lastly, the third deadly way to deal with sin, blame. Blame. Blame any person you can. We see this in verse 12. The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Again, all he had to do is say, I sinned against you. But he doesn't. He's going to cling to his pride. He's going to cling to the fact that he is a good person. So, not my fault that I sinned. There's no, there is no, listen, there is no, see this, there is no sorrow here. There is no remorse for his sin. There is no repentance. There's just a cold admittance that he did it after he blames both Eve and God. Listen, getting caught is, the not, is not the same as confession and repentance. That's really important for us to hear this morning. Getting caught is not the same as confession and repentance. You finally just have to say what everybody knows to be true. You did it. Yeah, 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 I did it. But it's not my fault. He's trying to lower his accountability in this. And so he begins by throwing his wife under the bus. That's what he does here, right? How far has he come from Adam be the protector? Be the leader of the home. Now he's saying, hey, it's Eve's fault. She's the one. She gave me the fruit. Again, if we think about First Timothy chapter 2, the, the, the commentary on this, he was not deceived. He just said, he just thought, you know what? Eve's going to give it to me. I'm going to go ahead and rebel against God. He knows full well what he has done. And in fact, when we read Romans chapter 5, we see that he is the one who is held ultimately responsible. Sin comes through Adam. That's, that's what the focus is. Not through Eve, but through Adam. Adam knew full well what he was doing. And God knows this, right? He's not fooled by his little like, look over here, look over there. He knows that Adam sinned, that it was his fault. Adam and Eve have gone from this intimate relationship to being one where he is quick to blame her for his sin. But he's not alone. He's not just going to blame Eve here, right? Do you notice who else he's blaming? I already mentioned it. He's blaming God. Hey, I wouldn't have sinned if you did not give me Eve. Look, I was doing great in the garden by myself. Life was good. Is that true? 
It's not true. Life was not good. He, he was super excited when Eve was brought to him in the garden. He, he praised God for the gift of Eve at that time. And now he's 180 the whole situation. And he's saying, God, if you had not given her to me, I never would have sinned. God, it's your fault that I sinned against you. It's crazy. Yet we do the same thing. God, if you just not, had not given me Eve, I, I would have been innocent. I, I would have, I would have been, I would have been faithful. That's not true. Well, now it's Eve's turn. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The, the emphasis here, you could, you could have uh, literally translated this, Eve, what in the world have you done? What, 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 what did you do? First, Adam is challenged, did you break my commandment? Now Eve is simply, what have you done? What have you done? Will she admit that she has sinned? Will she own it? No, she does the same thing as Adam. Instead, she blames the serpent. It was the serpent's fault. Yes, I did eat of the fruit, but I was deceived, and so that's why I ate. That's why I turned against your command. I, I thought you weren't good. I thought you weren't to be trusted. She doesn't say any of that. She just says, I was deceived and I ate. It's okay that I sinned because I was deceived. She's also failed in her role as helpmate to Adam. And she's broke God's good command for her. Walkie says this, The couple shows their allegiance to Satan by distorting the truth and accusing one another and ultimately God. They are preoccupied with I. Well, God knows there's no question, no need to question the serpent. There will be no repentance for the serpent. Satan will never repent. There's no need to question him. There's opportunity for both Adam and Eve to own their sin, but neither do so. They, they, they admit that they have committed, uh, they, well, that they have done what ought not to be done, but they are not confessing their sins. Instead, they're blaming someone else. We like to see ourselves with rose-colored glasses. Is that, you know what that means? We, we like to see ourselves as better than we really are. I mean, just stop and think about it. S- Someone else will do the exact same sin that you just did yesterday, and you will be so quick to jump all over them, like, oh, how could they have done that? They are such wicked people. But if you do it, well, there was a reason why I did it. You know, like, yes, I know it wasn't the best, but, but, but. Like, we we love to pounce on other people for their sin, but when it comes to us, well, we have good reasons, we have good excuses for why we've done what we've done. You can 
come up with every excuse in the book, but at the end of the day, when you stand before God in judgment, he will simply ask, did you do this? And if you say, yes, I did, then the verdict is guilty. There is no like, well, it was my parents' fault. It was, I, listen, I wouldn't be so angry if my kids would just obey. And ultimately, God, you gave me my kids. So really, it's your fault and I'm so angry all the time. We, 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 we deflect, we, 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 we blame, we hide. This is what we do with our sin. And if we continue to walk a life of that, you will die in your sins and you will pay for your sins for all of eternity. I mean, our society today just only encourages this kind of life. We all are victims, right? There's like three people out there who get all the blame and all the rest of us are victims, right? It's like Hitler, Stalin, and all the rest of us are victims. It's not our fault. But we will all give an account to God someday for our sins. Pretty depressing. But this morning, I want us to see that there's the better way. There is hope because of Jesus Christ, because he came to this earth. There's hope this morning because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting love, life. And so we read in 1 John that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we sin, we ought to run to the cross and bow before him and ask for forgiveness. And knowing that because he is a gracious, loving God, he will forgive us. You're hiding your sin is ridiculous. God knows it. God knows your sin. You, you trying to, to gloss it over is only going to lead you in the way of death. And so instead of hiding, confess. Confess your sins to him. To confess is to agree with God. It is to, to say what he says about your sin. Not bringing in all these excuses, but rather admitting your sin in full. Not blaming tiredness, not blaming your DNA, not blaming your parents, not blaming your wife or your children, but just coming clean and saying, God, I sinned against you. And I was wrong. Your ways are good, and I am a wretched sinner. Please forgive me. You see, as we grow in our love for Christ, what's going to happen is you're going to see your sin all the more. 
you're going to see that you need grace all the more. And so may we be a people who are quick to go to the Lord for forgiveness. There's hope at the cross. So this morning, ask the Lord, Lord, what am I hiding? Is, am, I, am I deflecting from the real thing? Am I making excuses for sin in some way? Am I blaming others for my sin? God, if there be any wicked way in me, show me. Help me to confess that to you, to, to agree with you about my sin, to repent now of that sin and to walk in your righteousness. For that is the way of freedom. That is the way of hope. That is the way of life. God is so gracious and so loving. This morning, when you sin, I pray that you would see God not as this I'm about to hammer you, but rather with his arms open wide, ready to receive you. And if you've never repented of your sin and placed your trust in him, I'm praying this morning that you would repent today before it's too late and that you would find forgiveness in him. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we're so thankful for this time together. So thankful that you are a forgiving God. And God, as we think about this text this morning, we, we see sadly that we are too much like Adam and Eve. We want to make excuses for our sin. But God, I pray that that would end this morning. That we would stop our excuse making. That we would call sin that which is sin. That we would repent of that sin and place our trust fully in you. God, for those of us who are your children already, God, I pray that we would be quick to repent of our sins, that we would be quick to confess to one another our sins, that we might be healed, that we would be a people who hunger and thirst for your righteousness, that we would be a, a people who agree with you about our sin, that we would see your grace, your mercy towards us, to see your compassion and your forgiveness, that it is readily available for all those who would repent. God, thank you for our hope this morning in Jesus Christ. Thank you that you have saved wretches like us. I thank you that as we leave here this morning, we have hope, that we, we have life, that we have not been abandoned to the way of death, though we deserved it, but that we have life through Christ. We praise you this morning. We thank you for who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning we want to take time to remember our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to think about what Christ has done for us, for our sins. We think about what Christ has done. It's not just that he... he says it's okay when we sin. He doesn't say it's okay. It's never been okay. When we sin, somebody has to pay for that sin. Christ has paid for our sin at the cross. 
This is why he had to come. This is why he lived the perfect life and then he was placed upon the cross. My sin, your sin was placed upon him. And then the wrath of God was placed on him instead of you and I. And so that sin no longer remains with us. It says in Psalm 103, verses 11 and 12, For as as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. It's an incredible thing. Our debt has been paid in full. Stop pretending you're a good person. You're not. You're a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. But praise God, He has saved us. Praise God, He has come. This is what we celebrate this morning. And before we partake, I I want to encourage everyone who is in Christ here this morning, I want to encourage you to to do what it says in Psalm 139, 23, and 24. Go to the Lord and say this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God, if there is sin, I am hiding. God, if there is sin, I've been deflecting from. God, if there is sin, I'm blaming others for. Show me that this morning. And then you confess that to him. You give it to him. You lay it down at the cross and then you walk in his ways. I would remind you that this Lord, this time of celebration is only for those who have repented of their sins. If you've never placed your hope and trust in Christ, then you remain seated. But know this, the sin remains on you. You will pay someday. You will be held accountable on judgment day. There is no excuse that you can make for your sin. You cannot blame God. You cannot blame the church. You cannot blame your parents. You will pay for your sin. So I'm praying, I'm pleading with you even this morning. Repent this morning. Place your hope and trust in Christ. Put your sins upon him and have him pay for your sins. And then be reconciled to the God who has saved you. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.